the idea is that we want to start investing for them as as soon as they're born, pretty much. And the reason why we do that is because we want the compound interest uh, to do all the growth. Uh, along with the long time horizon that our kids have ahead of them. That's one thing that our children have that we don't have. Um, it's the time. Time is the biggest asset that they have. Hey, investors, you're listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here, and get ready to invest to win. Hello, investment community. My name is Garrett Wong. I am your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, we have a guest who is going to be talking about the youth, our future, our children. Um, I'm really intrigued and super excited. Maya Korbik, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Garrett. No, the pleasure is all mine. So before we get into the topic, and like I said, I'm super excited. Why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself? What's your story and your background? Sure. So I'm a, a mom, first of all. I've got a 16 and a 14-year-old. I'm also a CPA, um, but I am an immigrant. I immigrated from war-torn Bosnia with my parents and my brother when I was 15. Uh, we lost everything in the war. Um, sort of immigrated with two suitcases and $50. So I had two part-time jobs when I was a teenager. I lived in government housing, government shelters. Um, but, you know, I worked hard and I became a CPA. Um, and then when I got married, my husband and I managed to pay off $60,000 of student loans and we paid off our mortgage by the time I was 32. So at that point in time, I was... Um, you know, kind of free to do whatever I want. And I ended up quitting my regular nine to five job and I started my company. So that was about 11 years ago. And I, um, you know, at that time my kids were very little and I was trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life and what was important to me. And being a CPA, I saw people that struggled with money. And I thought that, you know, we can change that if we can teach our younger generations how to be smart with money. So um, that's why I started my company. And for the past 11 years, I've been helping parents teach their children about money. Wow. Okay. So the company, um, Denari, am I saying that correctly? You are. Yes. It's called yeah, Denari so, Financial Education Academy. So where does that name come from, Denari? That's it was more sentimental because dinar is a currency like that used to be part of former Yugoslavia. Uh, okay, There's also, okay. um, I guess, the Roman currency. So it was more sentimental. I think it was actually very confusing for people at first when they saw that name. Um, that's why on Instagram, I just go by teach kids money. It can be more yes. simple and more direct than that. Wow. Okay. CPA and then moving on. Um, super impressive. And I mean, your background is just uh, very touching to to make it to where you have today. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. Maybe if you could share, like what motivated you to start an academy, but focus specifically on teaching financial literacy to, to, kid, to kids? Yeah. So 
Uh, as I said, when I quit my full-time job, um, my children were very young. Um, my son was, I think, six. My daughter was around four. And, you know, it was just having conversations with them. At the time, I was driving um, Jeep Cherokee. And I remember my son telling me I needed to get a new car. He said he didn't like my car. And I said, okay, so what should I get? And he said, you should get a Ferrari. <laughs> and then I realized, I was like, he has no idea how much things cost, right? So I started actually looking into, okay, what are my children going to learn in school? And, you know, back 11 years ago, things were very different than they are now. Um, there really weren't that many resources in terms of books uh, for kids about financial literacy. And I also realized the schools were not teaching much. Um, and so that's what prompted me to, to teach this. I felt like there was a need. Um, I do feel that we've come a long way. There are a lot more books out there for kids about money. Um, a lot of schools are starting to implement financial literacy, but I also think that more needs to be done. Uh, there are some topics that we are not teaching our kids about in school, like investing or about credit cards and debt and so on. So there's a lot more work that still needs to be done. And I think that parents are the ones that need to kind of pick up the slack and fill that role that maybe the schools are not um, doing. Yeah, no, I know we were talking in the pre-show just about how hard, you know, entrepreneurs or, or just parents in general with our generations now we want to provide for our kids. And it's hard to teach them about money when they're not hurting or starving like my parents were, and I'm sure your parents and all these struggles, especially like my, I come from an immigrant background as well. Can you maybe talk about the benefits of, of why introducing children to these concepts at an early age is beneficial? So I read a while ago um, that 95% of what we do, we do out of habit. So if, in my opinion, if we teach our kids some of these really good money habits early on, we uh, want them to, you know, we want them to embed those habits in their daily living. We want them to do things on autopilot. So uh, for example, you know, if I want my kids to become uh, really good with saving money, I want to teach them pay yourself first method. So whenever they get some money, whether it's from their part-time job or maybe monetary gifts, I want them to save a portion of that money. And I want that ingrained in them so that one day when they become adults, they don't just go out there and blow their whole paychecks. Um, and so if I teach them to do that from a very young age with allowance, I hope that that sort of sticks with them. And this is just a normal part of their daily life. This is what they do when they get paid. But you said pay yourself first. I mean, my kids might say, think of that as permission to just go blow their whole paycheck. What does pay yourself first mean in your concept? Right. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's really interesting uh, uh, name for this concept. But pay yourself really means that whenever you have money coming in, you take a portion and you put it aside and you sort of forget about it. Um, you can put it in a savings account. If you feel comfortable with investing, you really should be investing because that's the best way to build wealth. Uh, but essentially, you forget about it. The money that's left over is your fun money. And not just fun money, but it's really money that you know, should pay for the bills um, and, you know, it should pay for fun things. But without money, you're paying everybody else. With the money that you have put aside, you're paying for yourself, for your own future. You are 
essentially uh, building wealth, you know, for the, for the years to come. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it now. Yeah. Um, sorry. I know it's a confusing name, but, um, well, it's, it's not, yeah. it's just, it's interesting, right? Because I think paying yourself first, you're kind of rewarding yourself for your future. And I know, I, I mean, I used to be really bad with money. I'm, I'm willing to admit it. Um, we ran up credit cards. We would renovate and then refi and pay off the credit card. But if you look underneath the the fine lines, I, I think we were probably living off credit card debt a little bit too much. And now that we do have savings, it you just feel more confident knowing that you have something in the bank and you're not living paycheck to paycheck, even if it's only a couple hundred dollars. I, I think that's what you're really saying there. Oh, absolutely. It just, um, I think for me personally, what I, what I do with my own children, and I mean, this is just a suggestion. It doesn't mean that, I, that other people should do that. They should really... I believe align their own money teaching uh, approach with their own family values. But what my husband and I have been doing with our kids is every time they got allowance or they got uh, monetary gifts, we always made sure that they save some of it and that that money was invested. So now they have this nice little nest egg and it's kind of like what you were just saying. It gives you that comfort that if something bad was to happen, you have something to fall back on. And you know, I really hope, and I'm trying to teach them to grow that nest egg so that when they graduate from college, maybe they can use it to, you know, purchase their first property and then house hack, or, um, maybe they can just keep growing it. So by the time they're 40, that amount has grown substantially. And then maybe at that point in time, they would have enough to live off just dividend income, um, and become financially independent so they don't have to work if they don't want to work. It yeah, just gives no, people I, options. Yeah, for sure. I, I was just going to say, um, I looked on your Instagram account and you have a, a huge amount of followers, by the way. So congrats on that. And I, I saw one graphic there. Uh, maybe you could share that with the audience about start. I think it was, I'm probably going to butcher this, but starting off <laughs> with a certain amount of savings and turning them into almost like a millionaire after a certain amount of years. Can you kind of explain that? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, we really don't need to invest much to, um, you know, to set up our, to set up our children for financial success. So, um, you know, it could be just $10 per week or, you know, $20 per week, whatever we can afford. Uh, but the idea is that we want to start investing for them, as as soon as they're born, pretty much. And the reason why we do that is because we want the compound interest uh, to do all the growth uh, along with the long time horizon that our kids have ahead of them. That's one thing that our children have that we don't have. Um, it's the time. Time is the biggest asset that they have. So compound interest uh, plus the time, the long time horizon that they have ahead of them uh, can actually do the, all the heavy lifting of the wealth creation. And it's just simple math, but the longer this money is invested, the more money it's going to create. So it doesn't need to, uh, we don't need to invest a lot of money. It could be just literally like $10 uh, per week. And, you know, we invest that until their age of 18. And then we let that money sit. We don't touch that money. It's in the portfolio. It's invested. By the time they're 65 years old, they can have approximately $1 million. Uh, and of course, you know, they can have more than that because when they start working, when they have a part-time job, they can contribute more than that. At some point in time, you know, this 
responsibility of investing on behalf of your children can be transferred from you onto them, right? Like they have a part-time job, they should start investing on their own behalf and continue okay. to do so. Yeah, amazing. I mean, how many people can say that they can be a millionaire by just putting away small amounts for most of their lives? Um, I want to back up a second because we were talking about, um, you, you had mentioned that a long time ago when you started the company, there wasn't a lot of education, financial education in the schools. Can you kind of speak about the the uh, transition and the progress that you've seen uh, schools made about financial teachings? What have you seen in the last decade or so? Yeah, so I have seen um, a lot of schools, not, I wouldn't say a lot, but depending on where you live, uh, and some states have done this, some of them have not. I know that Florida has implemented mandatory um, financial literacy program for kids. I'm up in Canada, um, and here it's been hit and miss. Um, you know, some schools or some school boards have implemented it. And then, you know, it would kind of like fall off the table and then they would pick it up a few years later because I feel that there is a need and there's a push for it, but there is no um, follow-up to see how well these programs are doing and do they need to be maybe changed or adjusted. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the schools are trying to do something, but I think they're not doing enough. Um, and I think this is where we need parents to step in because we can't just expect schools to do all the, you know, heavy lifting and all the, the work when it comes to financial literacy. Um, you know, some things that they teach are very, the basics, which is actually not necessarily a bad thing. And I'll, I'll circle back to that, but they would, you know, they'll teach how to um, budget your money, uh, what are needs, what are wants. Those are basics, but we need to teach our kids more than that. Um, we need to teach them how to invest. We need to teach them um, how to, you know, get a credit card, what to be careful about when it comes to credit cards. And those are the things the schools don't teach. Um, you know, it's really interesting too, when it comes to schools, you really want them to teach the basics. Um, you don't want whoever is teaching this financial literacy stuff to be teaching it with their values, because I think the values should come from the family. Uh, so we all parent differently based on our family values. We should be teaching about money based on our family values because our values are different from family to family. So money is closely tied to family values. Uh, personal finance is called personal for a reason. So what my family does may be completely different from your family and you may disagree with some choices and that's okay. Um, but when it comes to schools, I think the schools should teach the math and the basics and you know, kind of just keep it at that. Uh, the problem is that when teachers sometimes teach this stuff that they may, you know, throw in some of their own stuff that you may not necessarily agree with. And, you know, that's the part that we need to keep out. Okay. So when you say, I, it seems like you're saying that, I mean, I'm up in Canada too, as you know, and yeah, having, the curriculum, I don't find it structured either. Are we talking about them throwing in a little bit of extra math to talk about taxes and interest rates? Like where, where are these things being taught? So for example, I'm in Ontario um, and they, 
so it's really interesting. This was the progression. So in 2013 in Ontario, um, they realized they needed financial literacy and they introduced this program and it was really weird. Um, they mandated all the teachers, regardless of what the teachers were teaching, to somehow incorporate financial literacy in their uh, curriculum. So a music teacher had to do it, an art teacher had to do it, and the school board or the school boards uh, asked for this because I guess they didn't have enough in their budget to create a separate financial literacy course. So it was really up to the teacher to kind of implement this and they were provided with resources um, to help them implement financial literacy curriculum into their existing curriculum. Obviously, this was very hard to do because teachers are already stretched as, as it is. And there was no follow-up. Nobody was you know, following up on this to see, okay, is this being done? How effective it is? So it slowly just went away. Like nobody talks about it anymore. But I, I think I'm probably one of the only people that still remembers that this was in place and uh, anyways, so now uh, what the school boards have done in Ontario, uh, we have grade 10 careers course. And in this careers course, uh, the students do some resume writing, and I think they do some basics of financial literacy. Um, I do think that in some other subjects, uh, they some teachers bring in financial literacy, but not everybody does that. Like, uh, for example, my son, I remember when he was studying compound interest, he came home and he said, yeah, we just learned the math behind it, but nobody ever told us why compound interest is important and why we need to know about it and how actually it applies in real life. You know, how it is good for us to get compound interest when we invest our money, but maybe not so good, like if, you know, we have credit card debt. So nobody talked about that. And I think that's really important. That's something that we need to, you know, discuss in the classroom. Okay. Um, well, let's, let's, that's a great segue. Let's talk about your classroom. Um, why don't you tell uh, the audience a little bit more in depth about the Denari Financial Academy and like curriculum and things like that? What type of things are you teaching? Yeah, so I um, actually used to do this in person in greater Toronto area and then COVID happened. So now I do it online. Um, because my company has grown so much, we only have... Uh, I only teach these classes once or twice a year, um, and we will go into different um, different topics. So we'll obviously start off with like needs needs versus wants, but understand the uh, what is you know your net worth, how you calculate that, the cash flow quadrant, and you know how to create passive sources of income. We discuss uh, or we talk about how to do a budget. Um, we go into discussing credit cards and debt and, you know, especially for teenagers, like what they need to know when they become 18, because they will be, they will become bombarded by these financial institutions that will offer them credit cards, um, you know, in exchange for a t-shirt or something like that. Um, we talk about, um, investing, the, the very basics of investing, just to kind of like warm them up and get them excited to invest. Um, we talk about financial fraud and identity theft, which are huge um, issue, and we really need to learn how to protect ourselves from that, and so on. So it's it's um, there's a lot covered um, as part of these courses. Do you do it specifically for age related groups as well? Yeah, so we have um, it's a similar content. It's just um, you know the 
for example, so we have classes for younger kids, like ages 8 to 12. And then we have classes for older children, ages 13 to 18. Um, and then the content is similar, but also different because the older kids, they go more in depth and, you know, we discuss it, um, you know, at their level, whereas with the younger kids, you know, it's kind of like discussed in the language that they can understand with a lot of metaphors and, um, you know, we go a little bit slower and we don't cover as much. Yeah. That was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you. I mean, an eight-year-old, how do you even make it engaging, never mind age-appropriate? How do you keep their interest? <laughs> yeah, so it has to be done in a fun way. Um, this stuff can be very boring and dry. Uh, you have to talk to them at their level. So what I like to do is like when I talk to kids, I like to imagine myself, let's say if I'm talking to an eight-year-old, I'm like, okay, I pretend that I'm eight-year-old. How would I explain this as an eight-year-old? So I try to explain it in those terms. Um, and then finding activities to do when you're teaching, um, is absolutely helpful. Uh, in a classroom setting, that's a little bit different. We play these like online games, but, uh, for parents, I always tell parents to use real life examples because you don't need to create some special, uh, activities, you know, just to, you know, reinforce a certain lesson. All you really need is something that's happening in your life right now. And you can, you know, start talking about it to your child. And again, you talk at their level and, you know, you don't have to, you know, if you see their eyes glow, you know, get glossy and like, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of like, see your words are going over their head, you know, try to reel it back in, try to explain it in a way that you think they would understand. If they're not understanding and if they're not asking any questions at that point, it's it's good time to stop and maybe revisit this particular topic again. I do find that when it comes to teaching kids money, this is one thing that we have to kind of repeat ourselves over and over and over again. And eventually it sinks in. It's kind of like teaching manners or teaching them to wash their hands every time they come, you know, from the outside, they come in the house. Um, I know when my kids were little, I would repeat that over and over and over again. Um, and now it's like, it just happens on its own. So money is the same thing. I, I find this fascinating because as I said, as a young adult, and even uh, as recently as a few years ago, I wasn't great with money. So when you have a parent, obviously parents want to do the best for their kids. Are there any aha moments that you find with the parents when, once they're like learning or maybe you know, through their kids? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's really interesting because um, I, when I talk about investing, uh, you know, and I, and I teach kids and sometimes, you know, parents, <laughs> they will listen, like they're, they're there, the lesson is happening and the parents are in the background and, you know, they will listen and, you know, I will show some examples just to get kids excited about investing, why they should start investing early. And, you know, sometimes parents are, you know, I get comments like, man, I wish I knew this when I was younger. I wish I knew this when I started my first part-time job, because if I had invested $10 per week or $20 per week, like that would have made such a huge difference. Right. So they are, I actually, it's funny because, um, on my Instagram account, I get a lot of parents who are following me and they're saying that they are learning themselves so they can educate their kids. And the book that's coming out as well, it's, um, I actually had some families that were testing it and, um, those parents actually, some of those, some of those parents came back to me and they said, I actually finally do not feel intimidated by 
stock market. I finally understand what they're talking about. I understand the jargon. Thank you. Um, but sometimes, you know, we have to learn as parents before we can educate our kids. Right. And if you're a spender and you don't, and you're living paycheck to paycheck, um, it's hard to tell that to your kids to start saving when you're not saving yourself. Right. And you know, the thing is like, I don't get, it's really interesting. This is such an important topic. Um, but there are people that are just not interested in it and they will, I don't know if they'll ever be interested in, you know, that's not my niche. Um, there are just people that kind of shrug their shoulders when I tell them what I do and they just, you know, they're just not interested. They're not interested in learning themselves. They're not interested in learning, teaching their kids. They do say that it is important, but they have no desire. So unfortunately, those are the people I can't help. I mean, you know, you can't help people that don't want to be helped themselves. No, for sure. Um, you mentioned a book and I, I think I asked this, but I want to get into it a little bit more. So you have this financial academy. You said you speak a couple times a year. I get that. You can't teach everybody personally and you're scaling your company. So what does it look like for a typical parent who, let's say, because we're going to throw this information to the show notes and they go on your website. Are there just a list of courses? Are they virtual? Are they webinars? Are they recordings? How does it work? Yeah, so the courses are virtual. Um, there are some recordings, but I always prefer to do virtual live. Um, and right now, there's really nothing at the moment there. There will be some stuff in the upcoming new year as well. I usually do some courses in the summer. Uh, and those fill up pretty quickly because I try to keep it small because I do want interaction in the classroom. Um, because again, this stuff can be really boring. So we try to make it more interactive with the kids. Um, yeah, so I only, I only do this twice a year. Um, for anybody who's interested, they should subscribe to my uh, newsletter uh, because that's when they can find out about it or follow me on Instagram. But, um, you know, the courses themselves are, you know, usually it's about five courses. Um, it's either Monday through Friday or once a week, for five weeks. Okay. And tell us about the book. I mean, that that's huge. You said it's coming out in November and uh, this is, I mean, the date today is October 27th. So this is very timely. Uh, why don't you tell us about it? Here's your yeah. opportunity to give yourself a plug. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm really ex actually excited about the book. Um, you know, I was asked, uh, just actually before this podcast, I was doing another one. Um, and they asked me, they said, why didn't you write a book about something else? And there are so many more books that I want to write, but I purposefully wrote this one because I find that there are so many people out there who are intimidated about investing. And the goal of this book was really to just simplify it, simplify it in a language that a 10-year-old can understand. Um, the book looks really friendly. It's very colorful. It's got lots of pictures. Um, and the reason for that is because, uh, not only because it's for kids, but it's really for anybody 10 years and up. 10 years of age and older, um, because, you know, I want not just kids to learn from this book. I want teenagers, I want parents. And, you know, somebody said to me, do you really think a teenager would want to pick this, pick, would want to learn from this book? And I said, yes, because I have so many other investing books, which are fantastic. They provide great value, but they're boring. So I'm really hoping that this book is not boring, that it actually teaches what it needs to teach. And it excites people about taking the next steps and in investing. Okay. What's the title of it? Uh, it's called From Piggy Banks to Stocks, The Ultimate Guide for a Young Investor. And it's nice. available on Amazon. 
Okay. All right. We'll throw that in the show notes as well. Um, maybe, could you share maybe a, a success story from the academy where early financial education made a significant difference in a child's or even the family's life? Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now back to the show. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, uh, we had this one family, uh, and this is the first thing that comes to mind, but, um, their son was just not interested in investing at all. Like, first of all, he was not interested in money at all. And there are some people out there, they just don't want to talk about money and that's normal. Uh, but these parents, they were actually, um, well, very well financially off and they were financially educated. They just did not know how to approach their son. And especially like, you know, teaching them, teaching him basics, but also how do you teach things like investing and so on. So what I suggested was to actually, um, really try to understand what does he care about? Okay. So he doesn't care about money. What does he care about? So this uh, particular individual, he was a part of a band and that's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to compose songs and, and play in the band and sing. And that's what was, that's what mattered to him. And the one thing that he wanted was an electric guitar. So I was like, okay, perfect. Now we have a goal. We know what he cares about. Let's tie as many money lessons as we can to this goal. So we started um, basically creating this plan. How can we, um, you know, save up for him or how can he save up to get this electric guitar? So they would actually give him uh, an allowance and, um, you know, they thought that he was going to be spending this allowance maybe on lunches at school or whatever. But, you know, the idea was like, okay, you spend some, but you save some towards your electric guitar. This kid was so determined. He really wanted this electric guitar. So he actually started saving all his allowance towards it. And, um, 
in the end, um, you know, he actually ended up reaching that goal and getting that guitar. But it was all these lessons that he came to learn along the way about, you know, like saving. And they were also giving him opportunities to earn some money at home. I forget exactly what he was doing for them. Uh, but it was like, oh, this is how much allowance you get now. But if you want more money, you can do, I, and I'm just making this one up right now because I don't remember, but um, you can wash our car. So instead of us running the car through the car wash, we'll give you $10, $12, whatever, how much it would cost. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really, uh, interesting and exciting for me. Um, you know, because I felt like we made a, a little bit of a, a difference in somebody's life. Well, I would say, I would say a huge difference. I mean, I wish I had learned that when I was younger too. Um, you know, I, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was parents who are listening to this and we have obviously a lot of parents when, when they listen to this and they're thinking, okay, I want to start teaching my five, seven, nine-year-old at home, what are some of the things, I know you said goals, okay, but are there any other tools or techniques that you maybe recommend to get people started on this? Absolutely, yeah. So with younger kids, like five-year-olds, I always suggest that, you know, parents start with explaining to them the difference between needs and wants. So at that age, they're capable of understanding that needs are things we need for survival, Wants are things that we want, um, like candy, toys, but we don't need them for survival. And so every time, you know, you go to a store together, you know, to avoid them begging you for candy or a toy, um, you can ask them to, um, you know, identify like what's a need, what's a want. Today we're going grocery shopping, so we have to buy needs first. If there's any money left over, well, we can potentially buy some wants. Um, so... It's, it, I know, um, I actually had some parents do this exercise with their kids. Like they would go into the store and literally the, the kids would just go down the aisles and they would point need, want, need, want, whatever. So it was a like little fun exercise. Um, we also like to do that at home sometimes. Uh, but you know, some it's, it's funny because some kids would be pointing to objects in the house. It's like, this is a need and this is a want. And sometimes they would ask the parents, why do we have so many wants? Like, why do you need whatever? Right. So, um, I even had like one parent come back to me and she said that her kids realized that their house was too big for them. And they were asking them, why do we live in this big house? Uh, we could afford, we, we should be, um, we should be actually living somewhere smaller. So, I mean, it can get a little bit tricky, right? They have to be prepared to answer some questions. And living in a big house is absolutely okay, right? Like as long as you can pay your bills, we, you know, we should enjoy our life. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's having that balance. But yeah, I can just imagine that conversation from an eight-year-old being challenged while your house is too big. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I um, even, sorry to interrupt. I just want to mention this too. I even had one a mom said to me that um, I think she went shopping to winners and you have winners in uh, where yes. you are at, right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, she picked up a picture frame. And her daughter, who was eight at the time, she said to her, why are you getting that? That's a want. And so she, <laughs> she sheepishly put it back, but she really wanted it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I was going to ask, um, you know, you mentioned allowances. I have given my kids allowance. I got an allowance when I was a kid. But I know that it's kind of controversial a little bit. And many parents struggle with the concept. What's your take on allowances and how can parents use them as a tool for financial education? Yeah, so it is definitely controversial. And um, I'm really glad that you called it a tool. So um, 
I, because I've been doing this for such a long time, I've developed a framework around this. And believe me, I have seen parents argue over allowances, like very heated discussions. So what I have come to realize is that um, there is no one right way of teaching kids about money. There is no one right way to do allowance. Um, when I do my workshops for parents, sometimes when parents, um, parent councils hire me and I go into schools and I just do parent workshops, um, I tell parents that they are four different ways of doing allowance and they can choose whichever way works best for them. But ultimately the allowances tool to teach kids money management. Allowance is not a gift. A lot of times parents think that allowance is a gift because we're giving um, money to the kids. Uh, but, you know, allowance really enables the transfer of purchasing power from the parent to the child. And the decision-making is transferred from the parent to the child. So um, the four different allowance methods are, the first one is allowance tied to chores. And parents who support that allowance method uh, believe that, you know, they want to teach their children that money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work hard to earn your money and you're rewarded for your efforts. So if they don't do a chore, they don't get paid. The second allowance method is not tied to chores. Um, these parents just give a certain amount of money to their child once a week or every two weeks. Um, and they believe that chores should be done out of the duty as a family member. They believe that children um, who you know, do these chores will not be paid to do these chores when they become adults. Like nobody's going to pay them to make their bed or take out the dishes from the dishwasher. Um, but what happens is if the child doesn't do the chore, they don't take away the money. They take away other things like screen time or play dates and so on. And there is a third allowance method. And the third allowance method is the mixture of the first two. So it's like a hybrid method. And these parents, they give their kids a certain amount of money. Um, and what they do is allow actually children to have opportunities to earn more money. So they, let's say, for example, they would give them, let's say, 5 or $10 a week. But, you know, if you want more money, you can go wash my car or you can shred my papers. So they will give them opportunity to earn money by doing things that maybe these parents would pay somebody else to do for them. And then the last uh, allowance method is really just not giving allowance at all. Uh, some parents feel very strongly about it, and that's okay. Um, with those parents, I strongly urge them to find opportunities where children would... Um, have ability to manage money. So it would be like, uh, let's say doing a budget for the child's birthday. So maybe that child at the beginning when the child is younger would be involved in planning that budget and kind of figuring out how the budgeting works. But as they get older, they can actually, um, you know, completely manage that budget on their own or, you know, back to school shopping budget or something similar to that. But the idea is that you really want them to practice uh, managing that money and making mistakes. Uh, making mistakes is good. We want them to make mistakes when the dollar values are low and the stakes are not high, rather than when the dollar values are, you know, high, like when they get out of university and they have like a six-figure salary. We don't want them to make many mistakes then, right? So, no, that, that's great. And uh, thank you for providing that list. But I, I'm curious because I know it's controversial. Why don't we spell it out for the audience? Speak to me about 
somebody who's, you know, very vehemently opposed to allowances, what is, what is their message? Why are they so opposed to it? A lot of times people tell me I can't afford it. I barely have any money to get by. I just, I can't afford to give allowance. But what I'm trying to explain to them is that when you give allowance, you're transferring the purchasing power. So I feel that everybody can find some allowance to give. And, you know, before you start jumping at my throat, any listeners, just hear me out. Um, if you go, let's say, through your bank statement or credit card statement for the past month, identify transactions when you bought something for your child, whether it's candy, whether it's toy, whether you gave them money to go to the movies with their friend or whatever it is. Now, the idea is that you would really want your child to uh, pay for those things himself or herself. Uh, so you would, whatever that amount is that you spent that's the, the amount of money that you could have given them. And they would be the ones deciding whether that money should be spent on that toy, on that candy, on that movie ticket. Now they're in charge. They're making decisions. They're not begging you to pay for them, um, especially because sometimes they just don't have any clue how much money is in your bank account and what your budget is. But when the money is sitting in their piggy bank or in their wallet, they know exactly how much money they have. And you know what? Maybe the first time they're going to make mistakes. They're going to spend it all. But if you stick to your guns and you're just like, you know what? You spent it all. You have to wait until next allowance date. Um, they will quickly learn that, you know, money is, you know, we have a certain amount. Once we spend it, it's gone. So we need to make better choices. And I have noticed that with my own kids, um, like I'll give you, is it okay if I give an example? Absolutely. Yeah. So when they were very little, um, and I forget exactly how old they were, but we were taking them to Disneyland. And I said to my husband, this is going to be a disaster. I'm like, this is, you know, a place where you go and you want to buy everything. So we said, okay, what are we going to do? And we decided we're going to give them vacation allowance. So we said to the kids, and I forget exactly how much money we gave them that first time. We've been to Disneyland so many times after that, but we gave them a certain amount of money and we said, listen, these are the rules. You can spend, here's this money. You can spend it right now if you want to, but you're not getting a penny more, or you can wait until we get to Disneyland and you can spend it right away on the first day, or you can wait until the end of our stay and you can go to all different shops and, you know, stores and kind of gather the information as to like how much things are and what you want to get. And on the last day, you can purchase something that's really meaningful to you, or you can even bring this money back to Toronto and, um, you know, you can spend it on something here. Uh, and you can also bring some of your allowance that you have saved up so that your purchasing power is bigger. So what actually ended up happening uh, the kids were absolutely amazing. They waited until the very last day to purchase. They ended up buying these plush toys and um, they didn't bother us at all. They did want to go into every souvenir store and check out every shop, uh, but they were so good. And, you know, um, and I, I think my daughter was, and I don't know which visit this was, so I'm a little bit confusing myself here, but I know that um, my daughter at one point in time, when we went to Disneyland, we were crossing the street and, and just really randomly, she turned to me because we gave them American dollars and she turned to me and she said, you know what? This American dollar is killing me. And I said, what? What are you talking about? The exchange rate is so high. And this was my, I think she must've been seven 
at the time, seven-year-old talking about foreign exchange rate because she mm. understands because the money was given to her and she had to exchange it um, and use it to buy toys. So, you know, when we give money to kids, it's very different than, you know, when we're paying for things. Amazing. Yeah, no, um, thank you for sharing that story. I, uh, I think having, I think budgeting is, is something that everybody needs to know, right? Especially adults and, and having a kid to be able to work through that is absolutely crucial. Um, so in terms of long-term financial habits, I know we've touched on them, but if you could have sort of a, a short list, what key lessons do our children need to learn to prepare for the financial realities of adulthood? Sure. I think the first one is, and this is the one, it's so simple and we just discussed it, but I feel adults still struggle with it, is understanding the difference between needs and wants. And, you know, when we want to purchase something, if it's really not a need, if it's not something that's, you know, we really, really need it. Like I would say, wait 24 hours. And then if you really want it and you can afford it, then go for it. Um, the second one is, as I called it, pay yourself first, meaning like as soon as you have some money, save some of it and then um, invest it. Um, and, you know, just start investing as soon as possible. Start investing frequently. Don't try to time the market. And I would advise everybody who is afraid of investing um, and but is interested, has long-term goals. And I mean, long-term goals are like 10 years or further um, to look into learning how to invest with index funds and ETFs. This is something I wish I learned when I was younger um, because I find it so easy to understand. It's easy to learn. Uh, the management fees are high and um, it gives enough time for markets to recover when you invest in this kind of investments. And there's plenty of different, um, ETFs and index funds that you can like look into. But anyways, this is just something kind of like, this is just the tip of an iceberg for anybody who's interested in investing to start looking into more. Um, and then I think it's really important to teach our kids about credit cards, uh, and debt. that having a credit card is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like, it's like a credit card is a tool. It's like a knife. It can be used for good and for bad, right? If you use your credit card to build your credit, score, um, then, you know, you can actually maybe one day, uh, borrow money and have a mortgage and, you know, it can, it can be really, really helpful. But, um, if you don't know how to use it properly, it can really hurt you. And, you know, like if you declare bankruptcy that stays on for so many years. And so, yeah, those would be, I guess, my top things to, when it comes to financial literacy. Yeah, I'm I'm nodding my head here because when my kids turned 18, so my I've got a 19 and a 21 year old now. We both encouraged them to get student credit cards, um, and you know, $500 limit or whatever it is. And I said, if you do nothing else, just have you know, buy something for $10 and then pay it off. Buy something for $10 and pay it off. And my older uh, son, he actually. The moment that he makes a purchase, because it's integrated with his his bank account, he goes online and just transfers over from his checking account to his his visa, which effectively pays for it already. But I can only imagine what his credit score is after doing this for two, three years. So, you know, he's setting himself up without having that bad habit of, you know, spending credit that of money that you don't have. Exactly. And I think that's wonderful that you're doing that. And yes, it's so important to teach them to pay it off, to pay off that credit card in full. Mm -hmm. 
well, yeah, twenty percent interest, <laughs> or whatever it is, is 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 tough. Well, I, I can't believe that uh, you know forty five minutes has flown by, but um, I want you to, you to leave the audience with the question that I always ask every guest. Um, so this is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success, and what does winning look like for you? It's so interesting when it comes to winning. For me, the first thing that always comes to mind is like my my health and my family. So, you know, money is important to me. It's important to all of us. We can't live without it. But, um, you know, it's important to have. For me, it's important to have that balance. So, um, you know, my, it's important to invest. But I also want to invest that money sometimes in my family. Like we do a lot of traveling together because I care about those memories um, and spending that quality time together. Um, I also invest not only in the stock market, but I invest in my health. Like I pay for my yoga classes. I invest in the food that we eat. So to me, you know, making sure that my family is okay, my health is okay. That's that's really what true winning is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And uh, we'll put all of your information in the show notes. Good luck on the book release. That's super exciting. And we'll uh, catch up on social media. Thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To catch the show notes for this episode and see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com and click on Invest With Us to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.